Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, he can't help but wonder if he casts the spell March of the Machines today, wouldn't that make it a November of the Machines? It's Matt Morgan. So rumor has it that Rick Astley has a legendary Pixar collection on Blu-ray, but there is one movie that he will not let anybody ever borrow. Rick Astley is never going to give you up. He is never going to give you up. Neither will he let you down. Um, Matt, I, I appreciate it. But Matt, I got to say, that's that's one that I've heard before. Our, I like I, I've actually heard one of your dad jokes before. This has never happened. And I'm, I'm, I'm a little proud of myself. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I mean, I mean, I've seen you on Twitter responding to people with dad jokes. So it's okay. It's, it's contagious. And I'm glad that you're growing as a person. I learned it from watching you. Okay. <laughs> All right. Up next, he plays the new card Purifier Druid in his deck just so he can finally look at his mana base and say, wow, you're all really basic. It's Dana Roach. Uh, in honor of Thanksgiving, uh, why was the turkey actor put into jail? Oh, no, I haven't heard this one. Why? Foul play. Nope, 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 nope. Let's just move on with our lives. Let's just, that's not one that I'll be that was a, that was learning a bit from of a joke, joke grenade there, Joey. It had, a, it had a tick for a few seconds before it went off. <laughs> yes, yes, it did. Anyway, <laughs> this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we like to do is give all of that data, just a little more context. Matt, do you mind telling us what it is we're talking about in this week's episode? So this week we're going to talk about revelations that we've had in games, maybe some self-discovery that we've done where we find out something new about our decks while it's happening. Not quite bitter revelations, but maybe bittersweet, <laughs> depending on the on the moment. Oh yeah, bitter revelations. That that was like a cons of turkey card. Yeah, no, so not not going there, but just uh those moments in the actual games themselves where we learned something new, something that didn't approach us in the deck building process, but actually getting the playtest experience with the deck revealed something new about the deck that is pretty relevant. And we wanted to share some of those different epiphanies with everyone. Uh so yeah, I think it'll be a, a whole lot of fun and hopefully not any bitter revelations at all. Uh but before we get into that topic, we do have a couple of quick shout that we want to do. First, I'd like to thank Chase, also known as Manicurves, for help with editing the show. You can find them on Twitter at Manicurves. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by liking and subscribing on YouTube or subscribing on your podcast app, whatever it is. It's just a great free way to support the show. That way you also never miss an episode. Hey. Or you can also go to patreon.com slash EDHRecCast, where we have patron tiers of all sorts of levels, whether you want to join our Discord community, you want to see historic challenge stats picks, you want to get yourself some swag every now and then. There's all of that and more over at patreon.com slash EDHRecCast. And there's always that very special tier where we give someone a shout out just for signing up, just for supporting us. And this week, that very special shout out is going to go to Jim Rowe, and he's going to row his boat all uh, the way into the patron shout out this week. I, Matthew, I, <laughs> we went like two episodes of you not having a joke for a patron name shout outs, and then you found them again. Oh, no, I'm, I'm mortified. But thank you, Jim. <laughs> Jim Rowe decided to throw me an easy one. <laughs> Oh, Matt is on tonight. Would you like any mo? <laughs> you are you you are a delight, but you're also done now. Okay, Joey, we okay. can go. <laughs> Let's move to our topic. <laughs> 
I adore you, Matthew. All right, let's let's get into it. We are talking about in-game revelations, cool synergies, or maybe like accidental non-bows that we ran into, and we only discovered them during the course of actual gameplay. Like, you know, the actual deck building process is a great time to like tinker around and think of, oh, what synergies can I make happen in this deck? But sometimes the way that the deck actually works doesn't present itself to you until you're actually like in the middle of a game. Um, at least that is the case for me. Maybe I shouldn't speak for you guys, but like, you know, Matt, is that an experience for you that like only through playtesting do you reveal the actual secrets of your deck or do you always know what it's going to do before you sit down for a game? I almost never know every single interaction <laughs> that's going to happen in my deck. Um, if I do, something went wrong and I tried way too hard. That's just not something that like I, I've I've stumbled across at least one weird interaction where I'm like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> at least once, like every single deck that I've built. And that's honestly one of the things that I just I love about Commander is because you're able to play these stacks of cards that probably haven't been played together very often. So you're able to find all these new things for yourself. I mm. love doing this. And so I'm very excited about this topic too. Sweet deal. And Dana, what about you? You're you're a lot more meticulous planner most of the time for deck building. So I'm curious if these in-game revelation moments happen to you more or less frequently. Uh, um, They definitely happen relatively frequently. And I would also say that if they don't happen, if, if I build a deck and I don't stumble across these weird additional things... It's probably because the the deck wasn't built right, or like I, I wind up taking it apart because like something didn't work. Oh. I really like. I I think to a degree, a, a deck that functions the way I want it to function is one that does have those like hidden levers and depths that maybe you don't see right away. And if it doesn't have those things, it probably isn't a deck that I enjoy that much. So I, I think not only do I find them quite a bit, it's something that I like look for and want to find in a deck that works. Nice. Yeah. Okay. I totally love that. Well, it'll be interesting to get into. And um, if you guys don't mind, I would actually like to start off with uh, the one for me that kind of inspired this topic because I uh, built a Tasha deck a little while ago because my mom's name is Tasha. This was going to be Tasha's Tasha deck. Um, naturally, there's a lot of graveyard stuff. It's really fun. Tasha is that planeswalker commander that steals spells from your opponent's graveyards and makes you demons whenever you cast spells that don't belong to you. And also in the set that Tasha came in was the card Displacer Kitten, which whenever you cast spells can um, blink one of your permanents and bring it right back into play. And I, initially in the deck building phase, I was just like, ooh, this is a nice way to reset the loyalty counters on Tasha. This should be just perfectly fun. I can steal some opponents like Cultivates and other removal spells from their graveyard with Tasha's effect and then use Displacer Kitten once or twice to maybe reset something. Or maybe I'll cast an instant and I can blink Tasha. This will be a defense card in case she was being attacked and this will like take her out of harm's way that could be a fun application for this card right um i didn't realize the amazing synergy going on between displacer kitten and tasha where as soon as you use tasha's minus effect to cast one of the spells that you took displacer kitten can immediately blink tasha reset her at a brand new loyalty amount she still sees all of those exiled cards with page counters on her and you can then just cast another spell with the minus effect and then blink her again like effectively the combination of displacer kitten and tasha means that you get to cast every spell that you have in exile with a page counter on it and make a butt ton of demons and that was a very fun revelation to occur during an actual game. Matt, I'm going to quote you because uh, I made the exact same noise where I was like, oh, 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 like that was oh. that was a very fun moment for That's me. That's when the O becomes capital O. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That, like that. Yeah. Putting the emphasis on the 
oh, I I did something. <laughs> I'm sorry and or thank you. I think right? like it, like you're asking yourself questions of it, it, I want to be embarrassed, but also this is kind of cool. Um, that's just it. Like the look of, on everyone else's face was also like, I, I think I'm trying to recall this moment correctly because I think that there were two other players who were like, oh, dang, I didn't realize it worked that way either. And another player who was like, oh, God. Oh no, I've seen this before. Like it's happening. Like it was kind of like waiting for me to catch up with my own stuff, you know, <laughs> which was just a very, it was, that, that was just like a genuinely astonishing moment for me. And that's kind of what served as my inspiration for this episode a little bit, where it was just like, oh, I didn't know it would do that. And now I'm really happy now that I know it does that. Yeah. Accidental discoveries are, are, are like one of the most fun things I think to do with a deck where you just find that thing that you weren't ready for. Um, it, it's it's not only like feels good to just find out your deck is more effective than you thought it was, but like it's it just is fun and like generally an enjoyable experience to make that discovery. <laughs> um, in in one that pops to my mind, I think is the Land Manamo School at Water's Edge. Hmm. Uh, I saw it in decks for a lot of years. It tended to show up in decks like a Rune of the Hidden Realms or something because Manamo is a land that lets you untap target permanent. And whenever I saw it, it was in a deck with a commander with an activated ability. So people would like tap their commander and then use Manamo to untap that commander and reuse the ability again. But it was also a pretty expensive card for a lot of years. So you really only saw it in those select decks where like someone really wanted that ability. Well, then it got a reprint a couple of years back in, in Mystery Boosters. And for a while, it was like a 7 or $8 card. Um, so I picked a couple copies up because like, well, it, it, at the very least in a couple of my blue decks, it's kind of pseudo vigilance. Like I have a Sphinx deck. I have, I have a, a blue black dragons deck with large bodies. And I thought, well, at the very least, it, there's not much downside to it. It doesn't come into play tapped. If nothing else, I could just use it on occasion to untap one of those big creatures and have it available as a blocker in a way I wouldn't normally have. Hmm. Um, and because I, you know, detest basic lands, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> why not run this in place of an island, right? Um, but because for a lot of years I'd only ever seen it in those specific decks, it just hadn't really dawned on me until I had a few copies that it says untap legendary permanent, not legendary creature. Because huh. everyone just used it for creatures, but like I, after I put it in a couple of those decks j just to use for that vigilance ability, I'm sitting there looking at it, going, "Oh, why? Wait a minute! I, Court Haven's legendary. I can actually use Court Haven to stop two creatures on a turn." Wait, what? Well, yeah, because it's untapped legendary permanent, so you can like Court oh. Haven is legendary. <laughs> oh, <laughs> if you're playing a disgusting land like. Gaia's Cradle or Sarah's Sanctum, you can untap those with Manama. No, Dana. <laughs> the, the Chain Veil, Pyromancer's Goggles, like it says legendary permanent. It's just one of those cards that people only tend to have used it for creatures for a lot of years. And that's not the only use of it. So that was something that I put in a couple decks just for that purpose. You've joked about like, you know, reading the card explains a card. And, and, and when we talked about mistakes we've made for cards and evaluating them, I misread a couple of cards talking about heroic intervention. This is one where I just didn't read it right. And I think there's a lot of people that like, <laughs> even if they don't, they see everyone else have used it for creatures and they just like assume that's the only thing it does. But it it can do a lot of work in the right deck. People just kind of don't realize it. And I hadn't realized it. 
I we're gonna have to change the name of this episode from in game revelations to in podcast revelations. Dana, I'm having a sure. conniption right now. And, and so I would good. almost guarantee the same thing happened for you, Joel. You only ever saw it used to untap someone's creature with an activated ability, some their, their legendary creature. So you just kind of like defaulted to assume that's what it did. Right. Yeah. I thought it was like, oh, you know, he's going to name some cool artifact that's legendary with the tap ability. And instead you were like, what if Gaia's cradle got even better? And then, right. I, yeah. then my brain exploded. Oh, man. Yeah. As, as if Simic needed any more help. Now right. Dana's <laughs> bringing up Gaia's cradle plus Minamo yeah. to make a lot of mana. Who knew? Who knew? Yeah. Oh, no. Also, like as an aside, Dana, you referenced the uh, previous episode we did about like cards that we had misevaluated in the past. And like... I should have said this in that actual episode, but you brought it up again here, so I'll say it now. I love how so many of the misevaluations that you said, you straight up were just like, yeah, um, I misevaluated this one because I like I kind of just didn't read it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a way to misevaluate something, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. You were just like, so when Heroic Intervention came out, I didn't like read all of the words on that card and realize how good it was, you know? Like, well, but like, I'm having a full on moment here too, because I think we kind of like make these mental shortcuts that... Like you said, with like, you know, then you only ever see it used in one particular application. So like your brain kind of assumes that's the application instead of, right. you know, any of the corner cases that could come up. Like finding corner cases for cards is is way hard. But dang, that's an exciting one. I, I am not going to be able to get over that. Holy crap. Untapping <laughs> Guy's Cradle with a Manamo is just sickening. So, so I mean, if we're going to talk about corner cases that became explosive with results, uh, I have one that I felt... R- very, very bad about introducing and discovering in my deck because it was my first game with a new playgroup at a brand new LGS that I had just been visiting. So I sat down with my Omnath Locus of Rage deck, which is famous for all the landfall triggers. It's a very, very powerful deck. It's my oldest deck. And I had had this deck together for a while at this point too, which is probably even more embarrassing. Okay. So I I played uh, a Perilous Forays, which is a card you can pay one mana, sacrifice a creature, and then you can search a, a land that has a basic land type put on your battlefield. So I also happened to have an Amulet of Vigor out in play for several turns and somebody played a board wipe and I was like, okay, well, I, I guess in response, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay one, I'm going to sacrifice this elemental and I'm going to search up uh, a basic land and put on the battlefield. I was like, oh, and then I get a landfall trigger. Oh, well, well, Perilous Forays would normally have it entered tapped. Uh, Amulet of Vigor untaps it. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, yeah, cool. And so I did it again. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. And I, I, I honestly probably went through the, the that little interaction three or four times. And I sat there as like, uh, um... <laughs> um and, and, and like each, like one by one, I saw the other three people I was playing with their eyes just covered in glass one by one. <laughs> oh. Mm. Oh, it does that, does it? So, yeah. So, for those of you who haven't pieced it together and are still covered with glass, uh, <laughs> this combo basically lets you near infinite, like, as, as as much as you have in your deck. You pull out every land that has a basic land type and put on the battlefield. And with Omnath, you also happen to get a whole lot of death triggers because Omnath cares about elementals dying. Mm. Also, if you happen to have, say, like a Valakut, the Molten Pinnacle, which cares about mountains entering the battlefield, you get a lot of Valakut triggers. So um, this was too early in the game for this to have happened for me to just <laughs> stumble and I know better because I put in Perilous Forays because I'm like, okay, this is a very, very good card to get landfall triggers. Oh, the, the, all these cards are just generically good, but I hadn't ever thought of them interacting with each other in this very, very corner case scenario like you were talking about, Joey. That is a huge piece of it, too, right? Like, I 
I'm not going to do a great job of explaining this um, other than to refer to a conversation we had right before recording, which actually did involve a, a Tasha deck, actually, um, where, Dana, you'd been talking about a deck of yours that the Tasha player that you played against one night would not be interested in, in stealing any of the cards from you because your deck was so, like, synergistic only with itself. Right. Like, you had a bunch of cards that make a bunch of tiny tokens that, like, are just not going to be of interest to anyone. Like, you're using some draft chaff cards. But the deck itself, when all of those cards are fitting in very interwoven with each other they just blow up and you can absolutely win the game once all of those things are doing like the deck requires a whole lot of synergy as opposed to being full of a bunch of individual good stuff cards and i feel like that's where we are more likely to find these types of examples like matt the one that you just mentioned like that perilous forays in anyone else's deck is like kind of like okay that's cute but like in in the deck with that and with the amulet of vigor and all of the other stuff that you were doing that's when those cogs actually start to fit so perfectly together and then the wheels cannot help but spin that quickly but it has to work with a very dedicated synergy that relies upon other stuff in that deck and can't just be individual good stuff that those individual staples that we might be more used to as commander players does any of that follow does any of that resonate i mean it does for me absolutely for sure i I think in part too because that's where you see the really obscure cards that like everyone kind of there's some cards that everyone kind of knows interaction because you've seen them so frequently (laughs) um i I don't think anyone's ever surprised by like a land tax scroll rack interaction or something sure but when you start digging down to those draft chaff level cards that are very good in your specific deck and no one runs elsewhere that's where you find those things because you just haven't been exposed to the weird corner case situations that they can do yeah yeah exactly okay you know what okay as long as we're talking about corner cases i think this one also qualifies corner case wise i did not i did not realize it but but we've all expressed that we're really big fans of the background mechanic that came out this year mm-hmm. um and i found out a very fun fact about backgrounds that i didn't know before um which kind of wound up um uh kind of biting me in, in in the butt a little bit but in a way that i cannot be mad about so the backgrounds are really cool they modify your commander creatures so for example raised by giants is the green background that says commander creatures you own have base power and toughness 10 10 and are giants in addition to their other types and there are plenty of other uh backgrounds noble heritage will say but the commanders you own do all of these cool things with like giving deals to your opponents and you get a bunch of plus one counters and things like that um yeah so that the, the, the important words uh, there on the backgrounds uh, is that it says commander creatures you own. Commander creatures you own. Not the commander creatures you control. It, so this wasn't a case where I thought that the backgrounds would affect if I like stole someone else's commander. I thought that they would get a bonus. No, no. That's that's not the, the thing that I realized in the middle of the game. I realized that it says commander creatures you own when someone used some of those insurrectiony type of abilities to temporarily take my commander away from me and the background oh. buff follows it there it is oh. that's the sound Matt. <laughs> exactly exactly that right there um because that commander has the background that is still part of their past why would it change just because someone else controls it so like the flavor is actually perfect but when someone was using it was like one of those mutiny cards like the five mana steal a uh, one creature from each other opponent um yeah when my my 10 10 commander who was also like noble heritage all up to its eyeballs suddenly was turning against me it was uh it was that was a really really fun moment to realize oh wait my own backgrounds are are kind of causing me a little bit of a hurt but in this amazingly flavorful and delightful way um so yeah matt i'm glad that you could go on that journey with me today <laughs> yeah i just i have a feeling that backgrounds are going to lead to so many weird discoveries like this yes just because they're it's just such a fantastic card type I love this mechanic and it's going to lead to a lot of those situations where, oh, this interaction does this with the commander. Uh, oh, you stole my commander. Oh, 
oh, you're getting that benefit now? Oh. <laughs> and the fact that the, the commander needs to be in play for the background to actually accomplish anything is a really nice built-in kind of speed bump, too. It, like, there's a lot they can do with that mechanic, and it already has kind of a hard delimiter built in about how strong it can actually be because you have that, that shutoff switch there. Your opponents can remove your commander and turn it off. Yes. But also, I'm just now realizing that if you're doing anything – like Dana, what you love your lignify, mm -hmm. your commander is still on the battlefield. And I'm just now realizing that I'm just, oh my gosh. So now all these wheels are turning for me. So if you don't mind, I'm going to shut up for about 10 minutes because <laughs> I'm, I'm brainstorming right now. Uh, cause that's, it's not just an 04 tree anymore. Like it still has all these abilities. So I guess while we're just real time brainstorming here, does that put less or more priority? On those types of cards for you, Dana, with like your Lignifies, if backgrounds are going to be more and more commonplace. Well, so that's actually a point that we should clarify there, Matt. Like that's where timestamps start becoming a thing. So it yes. depends yeah. on which card came in about whether or not the commander has the ability or right. not. Because and it's losing its abilities. Yeah. Know. So that's an important point. If you play the Raised by Giants after someone Lignifies your commander, then it, I believe, would still get the thing because of timestamps, yeah. which are fun mm -hmm. to talk about in an audio format such as a podcast, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. And, but, by, and by fun, you mean not fun at all. <laughs> not, not even even a tiny little bit, yeah. but I want to actually try and bring this back around one more revelation, Matt, that might be fun for you with backgrounds. <laughs> so let's imagine that you have a, a deck where a background is one of your commanders. Let's say you're playing like a mm -hmm. Lazelle and Master Chef deck or a Tavern Brawler is one of your commanders. And we've noted that that's pretty important for the purposes of cards like Fury Storm, since that counts as another commander and that will help tick up the cards like Fury Storm. But now let's imagine that we animate one of those cards, that we animate the enchantment to become a creature with a card like Starfield of Nyx, for instance. So now Tavern Brawler would be a commander creature and it would start to benefit from its own abilities. Oh, and then if you played other backgrounds in the 99, then they would I also start giving a commander creature your own, which is in this case the animated Tavern Brawler, more abilities as I well. don't. I, I like, but I don't like everything that's going on right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's just give it to this, Dana then. Dana, tell us oh about man. another in-game revelation. We've lingered a lot on these. <laughs> I'm going to talk about a, a land that someone didn't read, but in this case, it wasn't me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't believe so, you. So, <laughs> okay. So this was a situation where, where somebody made a mistake. Uh, I had the card Sanctum of Eternity in play. Um, Spend two mana, you can tap it to return target commander you own from the battlefield to your hand, act its ability only during your turn. Now, speaking of things that count as commanders, you could use that to bounce a background if you wanted to, because <laughs> uh, it says commander. But in this case, it was a situation where I was, I, I run that in my Jiro with eyes open deck because Jiro has an ETB ability and it's, it's white. It's nice to have the option to bounce my commander and recast him again to go tutor from another planeswalker. Um, somebody asked me as a, as I had that in play, and they're like, um, can you do that on any turn or just during your own turn? I'm like, well, no, it's it's my own turn. I can't bounce Jero right now. He's like, okay, I'm going to steal Jero because I don't want to you to bounce it and recast on your turn. I'm like, okay, you, you go ahead and do that. <laughs> Took Jero past a turn. I'm like, okay, I'm going to bounce Jero to my hand because it doesn't say commander you control. It says target commander you own. You so own. If someone steals your commander, you can still bounce it with Sanctum of Eternity. Um you know, and that's relatively corner case. How often is someone going to steal your commander when you have a Sanctum L? Probably not that often. People aren't. It's not like it's the 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 card that gets ran that frequently. It's it's also a relatively corner case. So we're talking a corner case card in a corner case situation. But in in a general sense, 
just know what the cards do and <laughs> you know sometimes your opponents are gonna like be their own worst enemy and, and and make mistakes and that can that can benefit you you can make them blow you know mana on a control magic or something and have it accomplish absolutely nothing that's incredible it, it doesn't do that thing for the reason you think it doesn't do that thing right yes but it doesn't do that thing because of a different reason like that is a right yeah that is a, a, a fun a fun accident to oops on into and yeah i never would have like taken a look at those very specific you control versus you own kind of distinction on that card that that is not the kind of thing that i usually spend a lot of my mental brain space on so yeah it's one of those things i think it's it's similar to monomo unless you have that card in front of you and you're playing it in your deck you probably aren't connecting, you know, A and B together. You have to have it in the deck to really, like, a lot of times see those interactions. So right. you, you, we always talk about, like, how you have to just sometimes get reps with decks. That's very true even about specific cards. You just got to sometimes play a card to, like, really have it register in your brain what exactly it does and how it works. Yeah, exactly. And Dana, honestly, I think that that's probably, like, a good reason for us to challenge ourselves to play more of the cards that, like, are usually just on the cusp, maybe, like rather than playing the staples that we're established with, like inviting more new cards into our decks to see if any of those weird corner cases present themselves. I think that's a good argument to like actually try giving newer cards a chance um, to find dis- it, like exactly those types of fun oopses. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But like this is a kind of thing that makes me excited to brew and try out stuff that I don't usually allow myself to try out. Um, yeah, I'm sure that there are plenty of other revelations for us to get to, including maybe even some non-bows of the ways that cards didn't work the way that we thought they did. But we'll get to that in the back half of the show. Right now, we got to pause and challenge some stats because there's so much data on EDHREC, but we don't always agree with it. So let's take a quick break and come back with some challenges. So I'll start us off with the challenges this week with my card, which is one that I definitely oopsed my way into discovering. So the card Peer Pressure is three and a blue for a source that says, choose a creature type. If you control more creatures of that type than any other player, you gain control of all creatures of that type. So it's kind of a mind control, kind of weird, kind of different. But when you look at the types of decks that are playing it, you're seeing Gore Moldrak, which was from the original Commander Legends, which has salamanders and I don't know what's going on there. (laughs) But if you really want to really just soup this up, play this in your Changeling Tribal deck. You look at only 6% of Morophon the Boundless are playing that, which is playing a stack of changelings, which changelings, for those of you who don't remember, have all creature types at all times. So you can have five or six changelings on the battlefield. Not only do you have five soldiers, you have five warriors, you have five elves, you even have five elvish warriors. (laughs) They have all of these different things stacked onto each other. So if you want a way to have a mass mind control type of effect, this is a fantastic way to do it because... If they have three or four very big tokens you need to steal or somebody else has a pretty big army or just there's one very impactful creature. It isn't a bad one for one paying four mana to steal two creatures that just happen to share a creature type for your opponents. It is a fantastic card. It's not seeing play very much at all. Only 2,300 decks total are playing it right now. So it's not quite Dana Roach numbers of obscurity, (laughs) but it is an old, old card. It's not getting a whole lot of love. And I think if you're playing a Changeling deck, this is a fantastic way to steal some very high impact creatures that your opponents might be playing. Fun stuff. I, Matt, every so often when you you come in with a blue card suggestion, I'm like, Ooh. it feels weird. I, I must admit, it does feel weird <laughs> yeah. advocating for more blue. 
Yeah, you're usually our resident, like, Selesnia, Naya kind of player. So when you come up with a blue trick, I'm just like, oh, I better pay attention. And yeah, that's really sick. So I'm, I'm, I'm way into it. I, I just, I, I felt pressure to actually challenge peer pressure. So, <laughs> But you shared it with your peers. I, <laughs> that I shared it with my peers. There it is. I wish that listeners could see my thousand yard stare <laughs> right now. I'm just, all right, I'm going to have to move on with my life okay let's go to my challenge now i'm happy about it um i want to call i want to call out a card that i think is a little bit overplayed in the uh new commander gearson starn kellermorph um which is a very fun ping tribal type of deck gearson is one of the standout commanders from the warhammer 40k precons um it says whenever another source you control deals exactly one damage to a permanent or player gearson starn kellermorph deals two damage to that permanent or player and this has been a super super fun deck for anyone who's always been looking for ping tribal for any of those uh those cards that are nicknamed tim any of the prodigal pyromancers and sorcerers and gelectrodes and a whole bunch of those amazing pingers there is kind of an issue for me though with a land that appears pretty commonly in gearson's deck and that is the card shivan reef which is a very classic is it mana fixer um you can tap add a blue or a red and then shivan reef deals one damage to you this is currently showing up in 35 percent of gearson's darn color morph decks and um with your commander in play this will deal one damage to you and then starn himself will also deal two damage to you so you're paying three life to get one colored mana from this thing and that doesn't sound great to me i think that you can probably go with like a mana confluence if you've got the budget for it or probably even just a regular basic this is a much more painful land the one damage isn't usually all that relevant but in this deck it certainly could be relevant granted this doesn't matter if you are able to give this commander lifelink but also this deck is pretty famous for putting stuff like sigil of sleep onto its commander so you really don't want it dealing damage to you this is just a little bit complicated i say find a different color fixing land that isn't going to cause three points of damage just to get a blue or a red mana that is personally where i fall and i hope that that resonates with all of those pinging players out there okay dana let's wrap it up with yours uh my suggestion this week was submitted by listener colton the almighty kettis uh colton's suggestion is urza's guilt a card in only 284 decks from way back in plane shift uh, urza's guilt is two a black and a blue. It says each player draws two cards, then discards three cards from their hand and loses four life. Whoa. So Colton suggests you this should see more play in decks that care about wheeling and discarding, two things that oftentimes go hand in hand. Um, if you have access to blue and black in one of those decks, you're oftentimes running things like Underworld Dreams, which punish people for drawing, and Megrim, which punish them for discarding. And if you happen to have those two things out, uh, Urza's Guilt's going to deal 12 damage to all your opponents. It's going to hit them, <laughs> it's gonna hit them for you know, one each for drawing the cards, two each for discarding three, and then just deal a flat four on top of that. Um, so yeah, I, I actually I, I buy that. If you're playing some kind of a Grixis wheel deck, uh, Urza's Guilt is just one more tool in there that can deal a lot of damage to people. And 284 decks seems pretty slight for it. So I'm, I'm on board with this one. Alrighty, those were rad. Challenges stats are so much fun. Those were really great. But now let's get back into our main topic. And Matt, how about we pass it right off to you? What is a non-bow or a cool synergy that you didn't realize in your deck until it actually was like right there in front of you during the middle of a game? So if if you've listened to this podcast before, you'll know that we do a challenge stats segment where we point out, you know, oh, this card is overplayed, maybe it's a little underplayed. We just give credit to some of the, the stats that we think are, are maybe a little misleading. 
if I ever say a card is overplayed, chances are I sat there with it in my hand and looked at it and wished it was something else because it didn't work the way I originally thought it would. Okay. Um, so I recently changed my Real the Everwise deck to Balmore, which is a spell slinger deck. It's all going crazy. Um, I may have left some cards in there from the original version. Teamer Battle Rage is one that gives a creature double strike and trample, but Balmore gives trample already. Mm. And so I've had so many non-bows sitting there I can't count all of them that have been going on where I change a deck up, I maybe I change a commander, and I realize, oh my gosh, this is not what I had in mind at all. I thought it was going to be good, but really I was just, in this specific situation, I was giving trample to creatures that already were going to get trample for me casting a spell. Um, that happens quite a bit. Uh, the same thing, whenever I change just any commander in general, I changed my Miri Weatherlight Duelist to Tristani. And that led to a whole lot of other cascading changes. Mm. I and So whenever you make sweeping changes to a deck, make sure you look for non-bows with some of these new cards. Because I know I've done it countless times. Countless times. And, and I'm just sure everybody else has. Oh, I completely relate to that. So I don't change the decks that I've got all that often, but I do remember when I took apart my Krufix God of Horizons deck and I turned it into a different Simic deck for a short time, which I then later took apart. But I was trying out a um, Peer and Toothy uh, Super Friends strategy because Peer can give extra counters to all of your stuff that would get counters on it. And I was like, really cool. This will be fun for all of the Planeswalkers that I'll have here. Um, but I kept a lot of the really good draw spells from that original deck, including the the infamous Mystic Remora, which is a really good draw effect. So good that like I even when I discovered the Nambo I'm about to mention, like I still considered keeping it in that deck. But Mystic Remora is that amazing draw effect whenever your opponents cast non-creature spells, you can draw cards unless they pay an obscenely high amount of mana. And it also has cumulative upkeep. And that means that it gets a counter on it, and then you have to pay mana for each of the counters that that is on it. And Peer, the imaginative rascal that he is, says, well, oh, you're getting one cumulative upkeep counter? I'll make it two. That's not optional. And so then you have to pay double. And I was like, oh, wait, that's that's not like an anti-synergy necessarily, but I certainly didn't want that to happen. So this draw spell that was like really great in the first version of the deck was still like good in the second version of the, de of the deck. Like that can draw you a lot of cards, but I was paying a, like literally twice as much to keep that card around in the new version of the Simic deck that I had tried to build. And that just wasn't a thing that I thought of until it was literally happening right in front of me. And I read what my commander does in conjunction with this draw spell I was trying to use. So yes, Matt, whenever switching a deck over, like you have to look not like, especially a sweeping change, but like you have to look way into the crevices of the deck to see any of those sneaky synergies that might pop out and like accidentally work against you. Yeah, the, the the synergies that you're um not prepared for in your deck always feel good and the anti-synergies you're not prepared for are just deflating when you think you have everything <laughs> yeah. figured out and you realize something just doesn't work or or if anything makes your deck actively worse. That feels terrible. Well, and and the most annoying thing is when it's that first game or two when you're just trying to see what the new deck feels like and you just sit there you're like, "Uh, this is this was supposed to be a playtest game and here I am." doing diddly with this card yeah i feel that dana what about you are there cool synergies or non-bows that you discovered once they were finally in front of you during a game so yeah so so one of my favorite um uh interactions i ever discovered um was years ago i had built a the, the very first attempt i built at a super friends deck um my win condition was was tokens um and, and it was in gruel colors so i would i would 
run every gruel planeswalker that had the ability to make tokens and my plan was to use you know doubling season and beastmaster ascension and, and things like that to to make extra tokens buff those tokens up off the planeswalkers um and eventually the same strategy is what became my Jero deck um but originally it was a gruel deck when i tried this hmm. and so since i'm i'm making tokens in that deck i'm like well i might as well look for other cards that do something i want but also make tokens well, hey, there's this, this old spell, uh, Artifact Mutation. Costs a red and a green. Destroy target artifact. It can't be regenerated. And you create X11 green sapperling tokens or X the artifact's mana value. So, hey, if I'm going to blow up an artifact, I might as well, yes, I'm spending an extra, you know, green to, to do that over what you usually pay. Red often does that for a single red mana. But I'm going to have a chance to make a few tokens and maybe I'll get extra synergy and I can use them, you know, with doubling season or whatever to, to get that many more. They'll they'll get buffed up by whatever buffs they have out. It, that that made sense to me. Mm. I found myself in a situation once, right after building the deck, where someone had played a Blightsteel Colossus and swung at me with it. They had granted a haste and in, in, in Blight Steel being 11 11 with, with indestructible and infect that was going to kill me. And I was like, oh, this isn't an exile effect, so I can't even like kill it with artifact mutation. And then as I'm looking at the card, I, I had to pause. I'm like, well, those are separate clauses. And if I remember correctly, one doesn't require the other to succeed. Mm. They, they, it's like functionally two modes on a single card destroy target artifact, make tokens. Those aren't reliant on one another, even though the card kind of reads that way. So actually, we had a judge in the shop. I went and asked if I was like, I'm not reading this correctly. And he's like, yeah, you just you don't need to blow up that, that Blightsteel Colossus. You just make 11 tokens, which was enough to soak up all the damage from the Blightsteel Colossus, you know, coincidentally enough. Um, so I survived that swing. And, and, and there's quite a few cards, many in that mutation cycle, but like, it's just something to keep an eye on when you're reading cards and it's really easy to miss, even if you kind of know that, that cards that have clauses like that separated by a period aren't reliant on one another. Destroy target artifact doesn't have to happen. It, it, you have to attempt to do it. It has to be a legal target, but you can hit an indestructible thing with the destroy target artifact spell and the token creation portion still happens. That's... Epic? That's so cool. Sorry. Like, I just, that's, that's rad. Yeah. Re realizing that they're not dependent on each other to resolve. It's not an if then. It's a right. this then this. That opens up a gateway. There's, there's a whole bunch of cards that operate this way where you're able to still get the bonus, even if you don't get the primary thing that you originally see. Yes. Because, oh, oh, the, it, it says it first on the card. So that's what I focus on rather than, oh, well, it also does this other thing that doesn't require this first thing to happen. Yeah. I, and I think that's just kind of a phenomenon of players see the first thing and they think it only does that thing. Yeah. But yeah, you open up such a wide swath of cards when you consider, oh, th th there's multiple functions to this going on. Yeah, like an equivalent of that for me of like the separate clauses was when I put Ordeal of Nylea into my Babala Saga deck because Ordeal of Nylea says whenever the enchanted creature attacks, it gets plus one counters on it. And then also if it has too many plus one counters, then you will sacrifice it. And when the Ordeal of Nylea is sacrificed, you go and get two basic lands into play tapped. Well, the when you sacrifice this card is not necessarily connected to the plus one counter thing. So you can't actually just sacrifice the enchantment with Babala Saga and then you'll just get the benefit without having to attack or get any plus one counters at all. Like the, the separate clauses is a huge thing to note. And that like indestructibility trick, Dana, that's really cool. Like, could you even use it on one of your own artifacts if your own artifact was indestructible? Like what that's like that. Yeah. Come yeah. on. Like that's rad. That's just cool. That's just that's slick synergy. I love that. 
Well, and, and this also applies to cards like one of Dana's favorites, Overwhelming Intellect, or one of my favorites, Access Denied, where it's, it, it counters a spell and then you do X where X is the mana value. So Access Denied, uh, it's three blue, blue, you counter target spell, you create X, one, one colorless stopped or creature tokens, where X is the mana value. If the spell doesn't get countered, if it's uncounterable, you just make all those thopters. Oh. Or if you're doing overwhelming intellect, the spell doesn't have to be countered this way for you to draw cards equal to the spell's CMC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the, you don't need these these things to fully happen. Spell swindle is the same way. You still get treasure tokens, even if the spell doesn't get countered. If it becomes uncounterable for whatever reason, you still get that extra bonus. Yes, I think we did a challenge to stats on a past episode for Lear, uh, Disciple of the Drowned, who says that spells can't be countered, but you can still use stuff like Arcane Denial and different things like that to still get bonuses off of those things. They won't counter the spell, but you'd still like get to draw cards off of the Arcane Denial and stuff like that. Matt, I like the way you think. I like I, I like the way you think. Well, well, you, you brought up a card, actually, that I'm going to lead into my next non-bow situation. Uh, Arcane Denial folks i accidentally discovered that arcane denial is not all that great in a deck for the council of four now arcane denial dana i know you love this card it's two and a blue counter target spell its controller draws two cards at the beginning of the next turns upkeep and then you draw a card at the beginning of the next turns upkeep as well so council four i put arcane denial in thinking okay this is going to be sweet because whenever a player draws the second card during their turn you draw a card well, it has to be on their turn is when that happens. And so when I cast Arcane Denial and it went over to the next person's turn, well, it wasn't that person. That person was third and I passed to the second person. So they didn't actually get to draw those cards on their turn. And I thought, oh, well, the, the timing's all weird. So you have to be so specific with Arcane Denial in Council of Four decks. I just sat there and I was like, I, uh, I really wish this was happening because then I would have gotten to draw my extra cards. But turns out I just... Could have been playing any other counterspell, which I know me playing counterspells, it doesn't add up <laughs> often, but it was a situation where I was like, okay, Ar- Arcane Denial, this is going to be perfect for it, but you have to be running it in like, it has to be cast on a very specific turn that it's just, it kind of non-bowed out and didn't do it quite what I was trying it, to get it to do. Interesting. Yeah, that's, that's definitely like, cause you, you say Arcane Denial and you, then you said Council of Four and I'm like, oh, I know where he's going with this. That sounds cool. And then you kept talking and I was like, oh, wait, no, he's right. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Gosh, it was so close. It was so close. Yeah. But like intuitively, like just when you're thinking of it just during the deck building process and you're starting to like make a spider web of like, oh yeah, this will be a, like this will interact with that, will interact with that. Like, yeah, it, it naturally makes a lot of sense, but like the actual practicality of gameplay, nothing's going to beat that experience in terms of discovering whether or not these things actually work out or not. So yeah, that's a really good example. And actually, Matt, you had earlier mentioned some changeling stuff, which brings me to one of my other examples. So if you talked about blue, I'm going to uh, take a page out of your book and I'm going to talk about some Naya stuff, specifically with regards to Rin and Sari, the cat-dog pair, which love changelings because whenever you cast a cat, you make a dog token. And whenever you cast a dog, you make a cat token. And changelings are both. So you get a bunch of tokens the more changelings that you have in a Rin and Sari deck. The issue that I didn't realize can sometimes come up in Rin and Seri decks until I was actually playing one comes with cards like Keeper of the Fables and Return of the Wild Speaker, which are really good. Like Keeper of the Fables is an awesome cat that says whenever you attack an opponent and hit them with non-humans, then you can draw extra cards. And Return of the Wild Speaker is one of the best green draw spells they've printed. Like it's really, really good. But it also only gives a buff or lets you draw cards equal to your non-human stuff. And so your changelings 
will sometimes get in the way of that. And that can be a little bit awkward, especially when it comes to cards like Mirror Entity, which are like, that's an amazing changeling to play in that Rin and Seri deck. But it is a changeling that buffs up all of your stuff, really cool, but also gives it every creature type. And that would turn off certain cards like the Keeper of the Fables or the Return of the Wild Speaker. Uh, so those were accidental non-bows that I ran into when trying my hand at some Naya stuff, which like, I think that there's still probably good enough cards to play in those types of decks anyway. But those non-bows during the actual gameplay Play require you to have a lot of finesse during those steps that you actually want to get any benefits from them because they are trickier than they first appear and it was only an in-game experience that would ever have allowed me to actually understand what was going on with that yeah i mean yeah again we, we i just keep beating the same drum but like you just have to get reps out a lot of times with, with decks and cards to just see all this little hinder, hidden stuff magic is an insanely complicated game <laughs> I mean, you know closing in on thirty thousand different cards mm. um many of which don't necessarily do what the card says it does because rules have changed over the years or and, and maybe you're playing an older version whose text is different. <laughs> um, so much of the stuff you just have to find as you actually play and, and that there's, there's just no way to replicate that other than actually grinding out games. Well, and this is the thing that I think is so important. Like, thankfully, with those examples, like Return of the Wild Speaker right now is only a 50 cent card. So if I did want to take it out of that deck, for example, it's not a whole lot of skin off my back or anything like that. But like it these these situations become a lot less fun when like you went out of your way to get like a ten dollar card and it and then that ten dollar card doesn't work the way that you wanted it to. Like mm -hmm. That's that's a lot rougher of an experience. So that is why sometimes like those getting reps can be, in fact, so so, so in fact important about this entire situation. You know, mm -hmm. like eesh, I'm 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 glad that those situations were not like monetarily very expensive for me to learn the hard way. So I've got one. I want to circle back to some of these these fun bows, not the non bows, but the the combos that we or just the synergies that we stumble across. But this one is a combo. So back in the day when I played a lot of modern. I was very, very excited for Renegade Rallyer. It was a card that I, I as soon as I saw it, it just it tugged at my heartstrings. It's Selesnia. It deals with getting stuff back from the graveyard and, and just getting aggressive. Uh, it, it did everything that I loved doing in Modern. And so I put in a Commander deck too, because I was like, okay, this, you know what's going to be really cool? Two Ghost Quarters a turn. <laughs> I just thought that was just fun. That, I mean, but that's also was you know, 10 years ago magic, not 2022 magic. Um, so I had this in a deck and somebody played a board wipe and I happened to have a blasting station in play. I just thought it was just a, a nice filler card. It was a sack outlet to deal some damage. Uh, it was a way to, you know, I can untap it sometimes, do a little bit, but I also had a Sophie Eric's daughter. So I, somebody <laughs> cast the board wipe and, and Joey's laughing because he knows what's coming next. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so so I happened to, like, I, I saw Safi, Eric's daughter, which Safi is great because you can sacrifice Safi. And then whenever a target creature is put in the graveyard this turn, you put it back into play. So that was cool. So I sacrificed Safi. And I was like, well, I want to get Renegade Rallyer back because that, that ETB trigger is really, really good. So I tapped Blasting Station to sacrifice Renegade Rallyer because, oh, yeah, I need to get some sort of value. There's a board wipe, whatever. And so I, I sacrificed renegade rallier and put it into the graveyard and i was like okay well the board wipes can happen now and somebody reminded me well, well you sacrifice Sophie eric Sutter so you get your your renegade rallier back <laughs> i said oh oh that's that's true yeah so i put renegade rallier back on the battlefield and then i get that enter the battlefield trigger where renegade rallier enters the battlefield something else left the battlefield so i get to return a permanent that costs two or less back on the battlefield i was like okay well i guess i'll get Sophie back and then it took me a second and then 
my friend next to me who actually is a mod of our, our Discord, which you can join by going to patreon.com slash looked at me and said, Matt, <laughs> do, do you realize what you're doing? And, 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 and I didn't realize what I was doing because this was early in the days. But but then I was like, oh, so I kind of oops onto this combo. It was it was just a pile of cards because that's what we were doing back in in these days of magic. And so I, I sacrificed Safi again. I was like, well, I, I can just kill everybody, can't I? So I stumbled onto this combo that was just game ending at instant speed. Zero intention because I just happened to like all the cards individually. So it's very much like the combo that I mentioned earlier for my Omnath Locus of Rage deck, except this one actually is just infinite and nobody realized it until it happened. Yeah, that is a very wild. Oh, you cast a board wipe in response, you lose the game. <laughs> like that's yes. What a what a fun way to respond to things. Uh, technically, Matt, does that count as a counter spell? Because the, the board wipe would not resolve; it would be removed from the stack when that player takes all the lethal damage from the blasting station. Is th- the the board wipe did indeed not resolve. <laughs> that is a safe safe assumption. The best counter spell is player removal or something to that effect. Wow. That is a that is wild. If you ever see a blasting station or a Safi Eric's daughter in play, watch out. Like that's 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 what I gotta say. <laughs> like just watch out for those. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they definitely put those two cards. Well, those three cards, I guess I should say, onto the radar super hardcore for me because it, it. I just I don't think in the ways of combos of how can I break this. I put in the I when I put cards into decks. I'm approaching it from the stance of either it does something cool with my commander or just a card that I like to cast. And so when all these things that just happen to synergize up, that's what we're talking about. That's what Dana drives home all the time. Sometimes you just need reps. You need to see not just the card on the battlefield, but the card interact with the other cards in your decks in order to see all the different things that they're going to do. And even then, you still might not understand it because right. sometimes these combos are complicated. So <laughs> I still don't understand it. I could barely <laughs> explain it to all you folks out there in YouTube land. So thank you for bearing with me. <laughs> That's great. And you said this was like way long ago, like what, 2010s or something like that? You said it was? The, the, I So I bought the Renegade Ralliers the day they came out for like $2 a piece because mm. I just had to have them. Okay. And and that shows you how long ago that was. Yeah, that might have been like 2015 or something like that. So yeah, that was like not the first thing on your mind. You were just like, oh, cool, Zelesnia card and, and Sacrifice. Just like, yeah. a cool card that I'm going to play in Modern. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah, there you go. I mean, now I think these cards are probably a bit more famous, but especially when new cards come out, I feel like that's an even bigger chance for us to discover these things um, that we didn't know that they could do. And Matt, I appreciate you bringing it to something like really positive because like that that combo is that I don't know that that sounds delightful. Discovering something that was exploding in your own hands sounds really funny. It's it's funny when somebody else has to tell you you're comboing off. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. All right, Dana, how about you round us out with one last example? So I think the last example I have here is probably my oldest one too. Um, and my Glissa the Trader deck is my oldest surviving deck. I, it was not the first commander deck I ever built, but it was I think the second. Um, and at this point, we're closing in on like it's probably 10 years old now. Um, and the way Glissa works is whenever a creature one of your opponents controls dies, you can return an artifact from your graveyard to your hand. So Glissa decks tend to run a lot of eggs or or just artifacts in general that can be sacrificed for some kind of an effect. And then when you blow up their creature, you can then recur their artifact and, and just accrue a good amount of value. Um, the number one most popular Glissa card on EDH Rec in 78% of decks is Executioner's Capsule because hmm. it does all of those things in one package. You sacrifice Executioner's Capsule to destroy target creature, 
which triggers Gliss's ability to return the Executioner's Capsule back to your hand, <laughs> in which case you can replay it and do it again. Um, it, it's all of those things at, at once. And there's a reason, you know, it's it's the most synergistic Glissa card in any Glissa deck. Well, once I found that, and I found it pretty quickly, even, you know, before EDH Rec was a thing, I started doing a search for similar artifacts that might do a similar thing. Um, and I, I found a very old card called Triangle of War. Um, Triangle of War is from way back in Visions. It's a single mana to cast, and it says, two, sacrifice Triangle of War. Target creature you control fights target creature and opponent controls. Again, though, this is a situation where, like, in, in that particular Glissa deck, Glissa has Death Touch. And that, that's not limited to combat damage, so anything that Glissa fights, Glissa kills, and then the Triangle of War comes back to your hand. That's very useful in a Glissa deck. It's even more useful if your Glissa deck is exclusively running creatures with Death Touch. <laughs> so if I'm using Glissa alone, like if, if Glissa is your only Death Touch creature, that's still a great card in a Glissa deck. But like, I'm like, oh, I will put it in that deck. I'll kind of use Glissa to fight stuff. And then like my next, like five seconds later, I was like, wait a minute. Every creature in that deck is going to kill a thing it fights. And then it will bring the triangle back to me. I'm like, oh my God. Um, so like it, that was a situation where I, I found the card searching for an effect. And then like it just sledgehammered home to me how what a absolute perfect fit that was for my deck. And 10 years later, it is still one of the best cards in that list. See, Dana, I'm really like I'm really happy for you that this is a, a revelation that you had uh, about like, you know, during actual like playing, you discovered, oh, this is my death touch theme is so cool. Um, I'm really happy for you. You know who I'm not happy for, though, is me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, 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 that's, it's way less fun to be on the other end of <laughs> Absolutely. You, you keep on killing my stuff with it and you keep yes. on getting your triangle back and I don't want you to have the triangle. You should not be allowed to play the triangle. I know it goes ting, um, but I don't I don't like that part of the band. Uh, yeah, you keep on killing my stuff, man. And that um, that is a, a fun thing that I'm glad you got to do, but stop. Well, I was here's what I whenever I've played it against you guys in a game, the, the words are, OK, how do we deal with this triangle? <laughs> like, like it becomes it becomes a teamwork, like a teamwork exercise where everyone's like, OK, let's workshop this. How do we solve this problem? Right, especially because like you'd sacrifice it in response to us trying to do anything, and then I'm like, oh man, I have to advocate for using graveyard hate against Dana, and right, yeah, I feel just like gross advocating for graveyard hate. I'm like, oh, <laughs> just that doesn't that doesn't feel right in my body. Like, but I will use them against you if you keep on killing my stuff. So stop it, buddy. Noted, mentally noted. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't th I don't think it was actually noted though, Dana. I think you're just kind of. <laughs> humoring yeah us. no no I'm, I'm just i'm humoring i'm humoring joey i was yeah. gonna say i think you put the no in noted there i feel like yeah exactly all right yeah guys this was a really interesting topic i i, I kind of want to bring it right back around to something that dana you had mentioned right at the beginning of the show is that like the fact that these things that, that we don't know what the decks do completely until we actually play them is one of the magical things about actually playing them and that like if you did every already know everything that your deck could do before you played it it might not be as fun for you i think that's a really good lesson to take away like having these moments of of like interesting epiphanies and revelations during a game that is a really fun part of the game to discover so you know overthinking the deck um even if you're like a meticulous planner the deck still might have some new secrets for you to find. And those are going to be really cool when they do happen and really exciting. And I like discovering those mysteries. And it's been fun to hear about, about all of those stuff, especially Matt. Uh, both of us having those moments where we just go, oh, 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 oh are, by are, the are way, Joey, you're, you're doing this thing. 
And and that's that's when you know. That's when, you know, yeah, these are really fun. And listeners, we would love to hear from you as well about the different in-game epiphanies and revelations that you've had. What uh, new mysteries unfolded during the actual course of gameplay? It'll be interesting to hear from y'all about those things that you didn't realize until it was actually happening right in front of you. But for now, I think, fellas, we will just go ahead and call this episode to a close. So if our listeners want to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find us all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash EDHRecast, where we have guests on every single week, and it's always a super fun time. So make sure you tune in. And Dana. You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach, and you can hear me on my other podcast, CMDR Central. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDHRecast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can find the cast at EDHRecast on Facebook and on Twitter. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRecast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Wreck your deck.